Jesus. That's a good message. Amen. All right. Thank you for singing. That was a blessing. James chapter number two. James chapter number two. I'm going to ask you to stand with me for a little bit. James chapter number two. James chapter two. And I uh, want to talk to you uh, today about something I think uh, is important for every believer to understand. And I, I think a simple but hopefully somewhat profound message in that I think there's some things that we overlook when we get saved. Um, for example, I think sometimes we tend to think that if I like something that God must like it as well. Uh, sometimes we think to ourselves that, okay, if, if I believe something, then you know, God must believe this as well. Or, or if I uh, have a relationship with a person, God must like that person. Or if I love something or hate something, and, and that's not always the case. And, and the only way to get your perspective right in life is to get it through the prism of God's word. And, and I, I would say this as well, uh, we are made for relationship. Uh, God, God desired, listen, the Lord uh, made you, and the reason he made you was for his pleasure. He wants not just for you to know him, but for him to get to know you. And, and look if you would at James chapter number two. I want to talk to you about becoming the friend of God. Becoming the friend of God. Uh, listen, uh, I can tell you that our older girls, uh, they're 19 to 21. The older they get, They've kind of, they still are kids, and they still have a daughter-to-mother relationship with my wife, but they're also, as they get older, kind of in some ways becoming more friends. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? As your kids grow up, you, if, 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 you're, if you have some things in common, and by the grace of God, if you can raise them on the Word of God, you'll have that, right? And as they grow up, they kind of become not just your children, but also your friends. If you are saved this morning, you are a child of God. You've been adopted into God's family. That is a good thing. Amen. He has washed all your sins away, justified you in his sight, made you a new creature, brought you in his family, made heaven your home. You got a mansion on the other side. God's been good to you. (laughs) Now, Now look, just because your child, hear me out, doesn't mean that you're automatically his friend. I think that takes a little bit of effort on your part. Look at James chapter two. Look if you would at verse number 15 James chapter 2 verse number 15 if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food and one of you saying to them depart in peace just think some positive thoughts I'm sure it'll be just fine that, that's kind of what he's saying here right be warmed and filled notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body what doth it profit even so faith if it hath not works is dead being alone Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, and thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Before I go any further, let me just say, I'm going to clear up some things, and I want to make it very, very clear uh, that this is not a passage that has to do with New Testament salvation for you as a believer. All right, I'll, I'll explain that in a little bit. I'm not trying to teach you this morning that in order to be saved, you must do works. That is not where we're going this morning. However, the author of the book of James is making some points here, and he's making some valid points from a practical standpoint. Someone comes to Steon and goes, Steon, uh, hey, we go to church together, yeah? And look, man, I don't, I don't have any food. Uh, could you spare a meal? And Steon goes, let's pray right now. 
But if Steon has the ability to help him and he doesn't help him, you know what he's basically doing? is He's basically blowing hot air in his direction by saying, I'm going to pray for you. Uh, Christians do that all the time, right? I'll pray for that. Well, why don't you help him out? Right? So, so James is trying to address some practical things here, but what, watch what happens. He's building a conversation, a thought here. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? That looks to be a direct contradiction to Romans 4. I'm going to explain that in a moment. When he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works... And by works was faith made perfect. Let me give you uh, another way to look at this. Paul says that you are to work out, not work for your salvation, but you are to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God put stuff inside of you when you got saved. It's your job to exercise it out. All right? You're not doing that to be saved. You're doing that because you are a child of God. Uh, Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 23. And the scripture was fulfilled. Which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. What a great title. There's a lot of things that I've been called in my life. <laughs> but you know one title I really want? The friend of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Brother Eric, if you would ask God's blessing on the word. Amen. Be seated if you would. Let me, let me just get a couple things out of the way real quickly. Uh, the, the, as you learn the Bible, what you find out is that every passage of Scripture has a historical application, a doctrinal or prophetic application, and then a, a practical application as well. And so as you look at this, it's very important to understand, listen, I'm going to talk about you being the friend of God in just a moment. But, but if you're here and you're not saved, and I just read a bunch of verses that looks like in order for you to be saved, you've got to do something and you've got to do good works in order to be saved. I want to clarify right now, that is not the message today. You need to understand that by, it is by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. But let's be honest, it does look like that's what the passage is saying. You know what uh, is is great? When you believe the word of God, you never have to explain anything away. You simply have to understand some basic rules of Bible study. How about this? Who is talking? Who are they talking to? And what are they talking about? So in order to understand James 2, here's a novel concept. Let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. To understand the doctrinal context of James 2, 
James chapter 1, and look if you would at verse number 1. Now let me just say this, there are three groups of people that God will ever talk to in the scriptures. He'll talk to Jews, those that are, that are not uh, born again believers, uh, that are Jewish. He'll talk to Gentiles, those are Gentiles, those are people that are not Jewish, but they're also not saved. And then if you're a born again child of God, Jew, Gentile, black, white, yellow, brown, red, doesn't matter your color, doesn't matter your ethnicity, if you're a child of God, you're in the body of Christ. Whether male or female, doesn't matter in God's economy. The world has lost its ever-loving mind. They're trying to force down your throat. There's no differences between men and women. That's crazy stuff. I mean, just talk to the married people. They're going to tell you we're different. Can I get a witness, ladies? Come on. Don't hang me out to dry. Come on, be, be honest this morning. When you married your husband, you're like, I thought it was going to be you know, Don Juan DeMarco or Fabio, and it was more like Flabio, right? And... And, and you thought he'd be this great guy, and then you realize he wasn't everything. What you realized was he was a sinner. You heard it your whole life in church, but then you were enamored with him, and then you married him, and you realize he's just a sinner like everybody else. And gentlemen, you're going to marry her, and she's got hot stuff, fine, beautiful. Oh, my goodness. I can't stop thinking about her. And then you're going to marry her, and you're going to realize she wants her pillows this way. She wants 50 pillows on the bed, not because you lie down on them, but because they're for decoration. Who's going to see them? They're in my room. Can I get a witness? Don't leave now, honey. It's just, it's just getting good. Come back, sweetheart. I think the baby's calling now. <laughs> but, but you understand, we're different. But, but the world says, hey, let, let's force this idea. What's amazing about that is that in Christ, there's neither, watch it, male nor female. Your value does not increase or decrease dependent on your gender. Once you're saved, you are, listen to me, a child of God. What a blessing, right? And so understand that when you, you read your, your scriptures, there are times that God is speaking directly to born-again believers in the church. That's you if you're a born-again child of God. Then there are times where God is speaking directly to the nation of Israel, the Jews. And then there are times, Romans 11, where God is speaking directly to Gentiles who may not be saved, who are also not Jews. Are you with me so far? The Bible says, give none offense neither to the Jew nor the Gentile nor the church of God. So in light of that, look at James chapter 1, look at verse number 1. To get a little bit of context, you're going to have to know that there's something different about James. James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. If you're not real familiar with your Bible, uh, that's a reference to Israel. Israel is also called Jacob. Jacob had 12 kids. They're the 12 tribes of Israel. Question, if you're a born-again child of God, is that literally talking about you? No. No. So know right away that when you read James, there's a different doctrinal application to James. That's why he spends so much time talking about works. Let me just kind of kick this door open right now. I don't have time to do a whole Bible study on it. But you, if you're not saved, you ought to get saved today. <laughs> because this is the easiest time in the history of mankind to be made right with God. It takes you placing your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, plus nothing, plus no baptism, plus no good works, plus no church membership. You can do all those things. Those are good things to do when you're saved, but those things won't save you. (laughs) Works has no equation to New Testament salvation for you if you're here right now. You cannot work your way to heaven. If you could do that, Jesus Christ died in vain. However, let me explain, in the future, things will be a little bit different. 
when the church is taken out of here and the church is raptured out, God will once again, if you study this book, you'll understand this, God will once again turn his attention and his eyes back to the nation of Israel. And you know what's going to be? It's going to be the time of Jacob's trouble. And at that time, they're going to be under a different kind of system, a different kind of uh, application than where we're at now. The Bible says, if you read Revelation, those that had the faith of Jesus Christ and kept the commandments of God. I don't get saved by keeping the commandments of God. I, that's not me. That's, not, that's someone in the future different than I am. That's what we call rightly dividing the word of God. Can, can I give you one more thing? Look at Romans chapter 4. Just by way of introduction, I want you to see this so you don't walk away confused. I want you to know you are justified by faith plus nothing. All right? But, but he said here, now let's be honest. Let's be intellectually honest. Let's not explain the Bible way as some people like to do with the Greek. Let's be honest and say this. The Bible says, and the author of James points out that Abraham was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. Does it not say that in James 2? We just read it. Okay, well, look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, look if you would at verse number 2. It would look like these are contradictions in your Bible. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. I just read that he was. But then Paul says in Romans he wasn't. All right, just, just bear with me. For what say the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him, listen, if you're not saved today, this is for you. To him that worketh not, or to her, but believeth on him, Jesus Christ, that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for what? Uh, look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not what it says? Does it say justified by works? No. Not at all. But let me explain this. In the Old Testament, things were different. They were different. If you don't believe that, just understand that if this was an Old Testament uh, 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 gathering, an Old Testament assembly, none of you could look toward the Holy of Holies. And you know what you'd have to do to come in here? You had to bring a, a physical sacrifice. Aren't you glad we're not in the Old Testament? That's why when John the Baptist sees Jesus Christ, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, not that covers the sin, not that atones for the sin, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. All right, so we're in the New Testament. You get that? The Old Testament was different. You understand that Abraham applied faith? He had to do it to follow God. We're going to learn about that in just a little bit. But there was another part of him that, in other words, to be right with God, that he had to follow up with action in order to be justified. Now, if you don't believe this, go, to, go back to James 2. I'm going to show you something. Look at James 2. This is just doctrinal introduction. I'm going to get into the meat of the message. James chapter 2. Uh, is anyone following me? If you're not following me, we'll talk after church, all right? Uh, James chapter 2. Look back there for just a moment. I'm going over this very quickly uh, just because I want to get to the meat of the message. But look at James 2 and, and notice something. Notice if you would. Oh, by the way, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther the man that Martin Luther King was named after, the Protestant reformer. You know what that guy believed? That guy believed that, I'll, I'll read the quote to you. Here's what he thought about James, okay? We should throw the epistle of James out of this school. For it doesn't amount to much. It contains not a syllable about Christ. Not once does it mention Christ, except at the beginning. I maintain that some Jew wrote it who probably heard about Christian people, but never encountered any. You say, what is he saying? He, in other words, I don't know how to reconcile what is said by Paul in Romans with what the James says. So therefore, I'm going to do what a lot of Christians do and just throw it out of the Bible. That's not the answer, folks. And I appreciate Martin Luther and all that he did, but that is not the answer. 
Uh, you know what the answer is? Believe God and understand when you come up to an apparent contradiction, Lord, you're smart, I'm dumb, you're not wrong, I am, help me out. Amen. Now here's the answer. Look at James chapter 2 and look if you would at verse number 21. James 2 verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son upon the altar? Question, what chapter in Genesis does this take place in? Maybe want to take a stab at it? 22. Okay? Now, this is not deep. Not deep at all. 22 comes after 15. Right? Please tell me you guys are still with me. Okay. All right? Look at verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. Do you know what you know when that's a reference to? It's a reference to Genesis 15, where God told Abraham that he would have a seed, and Abraham believed God. Abraham's faith was initiated in Genesis 15, and he was counted righteous in Genesis 15. He wasn't justified until Genesis 22 when he acted upon it. You say, "Why are you going through all this?" That's not how your salvation works today. The moment you place your faith in Christ, you are counted righteous, and you are justified in the sight of God by faith alone. So, so, so I'm trying to point out to you that there's some stuff in James that's going to be a little bit different, and the flavor's going to be a little bit different. But from a practical standpoint, we can learn some things about the life of Abraham because the author of James calls him the friend of God. And by the way, notice if you would at verse 23, it says he was called the friend of God. You know what that means? That means someone was calling him that. So that leaves me with two options, people and God. You know what it says over in Corinthians? When you love God, it will be known of you. <laughs> in other words, look, there's an audience of people that are going to either call you the friend of God or the friend of yourself or the friend of the world. And the Bible says friendship with the world is enmity with God. You cannot, if you're a child of God, be a friend of the world and be a friend of God. And you can't be a friend of your own self and follow yourself and your desires and your directions and still be a friend of God. You're going to have to decide which relationship matters more to you. Understand this. I've got a ring on my finger. It's an important thing to have once you're married. Amen? Uh, what this ring does is automatically says I am off the market. Not that anybody wants to buy me. But the point is, <laughs> I found one that did. Praise God. But understand that by doing that, what that says is I am separated from everything else so I can be joined to this. By putting that on my finger, I am saying I don't care what else is out there. All that matters is right here. When you become a friend of God, it's like that. And let me just be honest with you. When you get saved, it's not an automatic thing. Friendships develop over time. Listen, you're, you're made to be a social creature, which is why social media has just exploded recently. I understand over and you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis, uh, over and over and over, you know what God says? It was good. God saw the light that it was good. God called the dry land earth, and, and God saw that it was good. And the earth brought forth grass, and God saw that it was good. Uh, to rule over the day and over the night, and divide light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. God created great whales. He did not evolve them out of a particle of nothingness and randomness. He created them, all right? He did that, and you know what he says after he creates it? It's good. It's good. <laughs> I mean, over and over and over, the Lord says, and at the end of that chapter, you know what he says in verse 31? God saw that it was very good. Then you know what happens in chapter 2? Adam. I just need someone, you know? 
the Lord's like, I'm here for you soon. Yeah, but like, you know, someone like me. So God gives him what he wants. And here we are. (laughs) You know what it says in Genesis chapter 2? God saw. It wasn't even man. Man didn't even recognize his own need. (laughs) Gentlemen, let me just help you out a little bit. You don't, for those of you guys that are going to get married, which is the majority of you, if you're not married yet, and if you are married, you know this to be true, you don't even know how badly you need a wife until you got one. Yeah, I got a hand back there. I got some hankies going. I got the goalposts. I got the yes, Lord, yes, feed me. Yeah, right? Because you know, the Lord saw Adam's need, and he goes, it is not good for you to be alone. Uh, you'll, you'll find throughout the Bible over and over and over when people start to isolate themselves because they've been hurt and, and because uh, they've been rejected and because they, they did, their expectations were failed like Elijah. It's not usually a good thing. So God goes, it's not good for you to be alone. You are made, listen to me, you are made for fellowship. Right. I, I think, I, and I'm not preaching on the church today, but I'm gonna tell you right now, this is different. And look, there are folks that wish they could be here right now. Uh, Miss Cindy, you ought to be praying for Miss Cindy. She's praying, God, give me enough health to get to church for one service. Stuff like that fires me up because there's young men, 40, 30, 30, 40 years of age that should be in church and they're sitting out. And you got an older lady in the Lord that's praying, God, give me enough strength. Man, there's people that genuinely get a blessing from watching online, and I'm not taking away from that. But I'm going to tell you right now, you and I both know that that is different than this. You are made for community. You're made for fellowship. That's one of the reasons God gave us the church. The Bible says in Acts 2, and and a number of places talks about them coming together and being assembled daily and breaking of bread and in fellowship one with another. You say, why? Because once you're born again, child of God, God does not isolate you. He gets you into a family. Amen? Amen? You need that. But can I say, just like you need it this way, you need it this way. And you need, to have, you need to have a friendship with God. And just because you're saved doesn't mean that you automatically are. That takes time. Let me say this about friendship. Some people use their friends. You yeah, remember the story of Samson? I, I love this verse. Samson's wife was given to his companion. What? <laughs> but then listen, whom he, Samson, had used as his friend. See, Samson had used this guy as his friend and You say, what is that? Just to show you, people use people sometimes. It's not the right kind of friendship. If you have a friendship, you get close to someone. You say, how close? Face to face. The Bible talks about Moses speaking to God in Exodus 33 as a man speaking to his friend face to face. Uh, You might remember the story of a young man named Jonadab. Amnon, right? Amnon's a young man that's a son of the king and he he can't stop thinking about, you know, his half-sister, and you know that whole mess. And the Bible says he thought it hard for him to do anything unto her, but he had a friend. Your friendships will strongly have influence on your, on your life. And oh, by the way, parents, let me just give you a little nugget. If you tell your kid you can't do that, no, you shouldn't do that, no, you shouldn't. And, and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Do you realize if you look at history... You've got about 400 years from Noah to Abraham. You say, why is that significant? You also have about 400 years of silence 
from Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, to John the Baptist showing up. You say, what, why is, what, is it, what are you getting at, preacher? God broke that silence. And when God broke that silence, you know who he decided to talk to? A guy in the middle of nowhere that nobody knew about. And nobody would have known about him if this man had not committed to God. God says, after 400 years from Noah, there's no, there's no conversations going on with people and God. It's quiet. But God's watching everything. You have the Tower of Babel and all that mess that goes on. And God comes down and confounds the languages and all that. But no one's talking. No, there's no conversations going on. All of a sudden, God breaks that silence with Abraham. Now imagine this. God breaks the silence, and how does he break it? Hey, I want you to leave. Well, who are you to tell me? Oh, I'm God. You, you know, I, I think a great sign of commitment is what you're willing to leave, not so much what you're willing to go to. I, I, listen, listen, uh, over there, God's showing up to this guy who previously, you don't read anything about Abraham talking to God or much of any kind of relationship there. You just see that God shows up, he speaks, and Abraham hears him. By the way, if you're going to hear from God, you need to be in calling distance. <laughs> you know, we got God, I haven't heard from you. Lord, it's just been so long. Hey, that's, God has not moved. God is where he's always been. When things get silent, examine yourself and understand God shows up, he speaks, and automatically Abraham listens. I think of Eli and Samuel. I think of God showing up and bypassing the great man of God, the high priest. God goes, nope, not talking to him. I'm going to Samuel. There were other people on the planet, and God bypassed all of them and goes to Abraham. Why is that? I think he saw something in Abraham that nobody else could see at the time. You know what we can see? Some commitment. Commitment to hearing God. I remember when <laughs> my wife and I were dating a bajillion years ago. <laughs> uh, I, I remember calling cards. Who remembers calling cards? Raise your hand. All right. I go to Walmart and buy these calling cards. And I think about half of my income went to calling cards <laughs> when I was dating her. And you know, you know how it goes. I mean, you know, it was an actual landline. This it was not a thing. You know, you get the landline, and the guys, the guys that I'm rooming with are, dude, you still on the phone? Yeah. Yes. It's midnight, bro. <laughs> Tell her that. <laughs> right? And man, just, you know, it was like, no, no, you get off first. No, no, you get off first. No, no, you get off <laughs> And yes, if you're in love right now, that's how you appear to the rest of us. No, you get up. No, you get off. You know, you know. You, you say, well, just, just, you know what it was? I, I wanted to listen. I wanted to get to know her. She wanted to listen. She want, you say, that's the building of a friendship. Can I ask you a question? Are, are you hearing from God? Do you, do you listen to him? No, listen to me. I don't mean selective hearing. Don't be that kind of kid. I could tell my kids, I give them five instructions about how exactly to clean out the coop and how to put the water in, how to scrub the thing out, and I da 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 I go through all that. And I could have mentioned last week that we're going to go to Disneyland in five years, and, and about five minutes into the project, Dad, so when are we going to Disneyland? <laughs> well, it's not what we're doing right now. We're doing this over here. You know, the selective hearing. Can, can I say this? Abraham, there living with his family. Oh, no, by the way, go back to Genesis chapter 11. Can I show you something? This is a hard pill for some of us to swallow. I had to explain to these folks in Kentucky that probably never had a Puerto Rican preach in their pulpit before. <laughs> I had to explain to them, listen, you Southerners think that you guys have got the, the corner and the market on family, and you guys are all about family. Man, Latinos are, boof, we are familia primero, man. Family's first. <laughs> Family's first, right? 
But, but I want you to understand, look at Genesis chapter 11, look at the end of the chapter, and, and notice something here. Look at verse number 31. And Terah, uh, uh, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came into Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years. Watch this. And Terah died in Haran. You know what that tells me? When God shows up to Abraham, it's after the loss of Abraham's father. Question, in that culture, do you know what that means for Abram? That means that he is the next of, he's the one responsible for that family. So God shows up and goes, hey, Abram, why don't you leave all this? But God, I've got commitments. Okay, you can say. But Abraham followed. You know what friendship with God means? It means you make a commitment that's highest to him before anybody else. You say, easier said than done. I know. But it's what a friendship is. If a friendship, if you expect from a friend, for that friend to step in when the world steps out, can I just say this? The Bible says when Jesus Christ comes back, when the Son of Man returns, shall he find faith on the earth? In other words, is there anyone that's still going to be believing? I think he looks down and he wants to see some of his children go, God, I don't care what they say. I don't care what they do. I'm standing by you. I'm committed. I want to be your friend. And at some point, you are going to have to decide who is the one that matters the most. Is it the earthly relationships or is it the heavenly one? And let me tell you right now, the earthly ones will never be in their right place until this one's right first. I love it when someone goes, you're choosing God over this. or Yes, yes, exactly. You say, why? Because when everything else is blown away and this thing's going to melt with the fervent heat, the Bible says, the elements. Ever looked at a periodic table and all the elements in chemistry? The elements, the Bible says, are going to melt with the fervent heat. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And you know who's not going to be there to judge me? You. You know who I'm going to stand before? My judge, my savior, and who the man that I hope to say is my friend. Commitment. Get thee out of thy country and out of thy kindred. Look at this in verse 1, 12, 1. And out of thy father's house. Would you look with me at Matthew chapter number 10? Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. At some point in your Christian life, you're going to feel that you're choosing God above something or someone else. And you're going to have to ground yourself in this truth that if I choose God over... Listen, let me tell you right now. Some of you Christian parents are going to have to choose God over what your kids want. There was a generation that used to understand that, that parents are there to guide children. Like, like, I'm sorry, a five-year-old? You're going to tell me the same kid that, oh, I want to be a girl this week. Fine. He also wants to be a trash compactor. Like, who? who? <laughs> when I grew up, I want to be Hulk. Okay, let's paint him green and put, put you know, shoot steroids in him. I don't know. What are we, gonna, what are we supposed to do? You, you understand? We're there to guide them. And when your heavenly father says, that's not the right direction, let's not put that in their hands. Let's not have them watch that. Let's not have them be around them. You're going to have to go, you know, God, you're first. 
yeah, but my friends and their parents and their Christians, and then, the, and then, the, you know what? When you're 18 and you want to pay for everything on your own, God bless you. Until then, you're in this house. We're going to try to do the best we can in God's way. Not because mom and dad's perfect. We are not. But we're going to be friends of God the best we can be. You see, what is that? Just some commitment. Man, we, we live in a day and age where that's just, that's the C word. Don't mention commitment. It's funny. People come to church, they go, why do I have to join? The Bible doesn't say anything about joining in the New Testament. Can, can I see your wallet? No. I just want to see if you got Sam's Club and Costco. Amazon. Oh, oh, well, preacher, that's different. Oh, I see. You'll become a member of something that benefits you, or at least you think that you get something out of it. If you don't think the church is there to benefit you, you don't get this thing at all. It's not, we're not here to benefit God. God is here to benefit us. We, he's given us this for our benefit. You say, what is that? You know what the real issue is? I don't want to commit. You go to Sam's Club and go, I just want to shop for a little bit. I don't want to join. I just want to shop. Uh, you know, okay, uh, how about this? Uh, ladies, young ladies, can I say this? If he wants to window shop and you're the window, tell him you're not interested. Amen. Can I get a witness? You say, why? Because if he ain't going to commit, don't waste your time. <laughs> yes. Hey, can, can I say it like this as it relates to your, your, your walk with God? Would you be willing to commit some of your schedule? Amen. Well, it's not convenient. Okay. All right. God's not going to bend on his, he's not going to get on knees and say, please be my friend, please. God, I, you know, contrary to popular opinion, I know I've seen the, meme, the little thing floating around Facebook. Little Facebook friend invite from God. Click yes. God's not worried about you <laughs> accepting this thing and then sending it out to 15 other people to show you love God. Right. He's not worried about that. You know what he wants to see when he whispers, how about we spend a little bit more time here? Amen. When he whispers, hey, I want you to get involved with that element in your church. I want you to get involved in that ministry. You, go, you don't just say, well, God, I, I'm, I got things going on. When the Lord says, hey, I want you to maybe consider going on that mission trip. Yeah, but that would mean I have to stop work for a couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah, but Lord, uh, when the Lord says, hey, let's turn your phone off and the TV off and let's sit down and actually speak to your children truth. Amen. Yeah, but that would cost me my, yeah, you're scrolling. They see me scrolling. <laughs> you know what you can do? You can spend two hours just looking at garbage. Yeah. And, then, and then you wonder why, why your kids want a phone so bad because they see, they see that this is more important to you than they are. Can, can I just say this? There's a commitment factor that's missing from our society. And if you're a born-again child of God, let me just say, God has not changed in the last couple thousand years. You can be saved and not be his friend, but if you want to be the friend of God, can I recommend you learn to commit some things to him? Secondly, can I say this? Becoming the friend of God means you build some habits around him. You build some habits around him. Look, if you would, at Genesis chapter number 12. Go to Genesis 12. I never read the verse in Matthew, did I? Can I just read it to you? He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. I've got commitments. Okay, that's fine, but just make sure you put things in the rightful place. Genesis chapter number 12. Genesis chapter 12. Can I ask you, what are your habits? What do you grab first thing in the morning? Is it your phone or your book? Is it your phone or is it the Bible? Look at Genesis chapter 12. Let me show you something about, about Abraham. Look at verse number 7. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, In thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he, Abraham, an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Look at verse number 8. 
He had removed from thence unto a mountain in the east of Bethel and pitched his tent having Bethel in the west and Hai in the east. And there he, look at that, he did it again. Can I ask you a question? Did the Lord ever command him to do that? Not that we read in scripture, no. You know what Abraham did? He just did what he could. He just said, you know what? If God's going to be so good to show up of all the people he could talk to and he shows up to me, this is what's lost in church. This is what's lost in church. You come to church, plop yourself down and go, oh, God's talking to everybody in the room. No, he's talking to you. And if God is going to be so good to speak to me individually, I'm going to build some things around him. I think Christians for far too long have asked, what's wrong with it? Instead of asking, what can I do with what God's given me to build something for him? That great woman of Shunem, Elisha would come by and, and need a place to stay. And, and that great woman and her husband, the Bible calls her a great woman. What's her name? Mrs. Great Woman, I guess. That's the name God gave her. God calls her great. We don't even know her name. <laughs> and you know what? Elisha would he'd come by and need a place to stay, and they'd put him up. And, and eventually, she looks to her husband. She goes, I perceive this man's a prophet, a man of God. And you know what she says? Let's build him a little chamber. And there's a, a table and a, a candlestick and a, a chair and a bed. And, and he said, what is that? He said, it's not that big of a deal. It wasn't that fancy. It wasn't glorious. It was just a simple little place. And let me tell you this. To the world, it meant nothing. But to God, that meant everything. You say, what, she was building something not because she was made to do it, but because, listen to me, she could. She could. Five loaves and two fishes, not a big deal. It fed 5,000 people. I, uh, I married my best friend. And uh, in the 1990s, we worked at the same mall. Malls are places that have stores inside of them. trying to relate guys don't laugh i'm trying to relate um and uh, i worked at a, a coffee shop had my big bangs had my son in anybody know what son in is oh yeah and uh i served coffee and you know i was what 15 16 years old so i always try to do what i could to get girls attention you know and then one day that girl walks in and uh she's looking around at different coffee mugs and things like that and uh, I'll never forget, uh, one night after work, I don't know, it's probably 11 o'clock at night, I called her before I left the store. I said, hey, are you going to be at home? She's like, yeah, it's 11, it's like 10 o'clock. I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop by. So I stopped by, and I got her this, this mug, and uh, she was looking at the one of the kids kissing, <laughs> and I got her the one of the boy, like, on his knee. But you know what she did? She's like, oh, this isn't the one I was looking at. <laughs> You want to know what I did, being the spiritual giant I was? Fine! Jumped in my car. Whee! 1987 Nissan Sentra and ripped out of there. Buy some other girl a coffee mug. Now, we, we've been together for, married for 23 years. And, you know, she likes football. We'll watch football. Uh, and, and I just know that, like, what I want to do sometimes is just watch a documentary about, you know, I don't know. Is Hitler still living in Argentina? 
Yes, I do think about the Roman Empire so many times a week, whatever. Um, that's just how men are, I guess. I don't know. But I, I, I'll be honest with you. If I was by myself, I would never be like, hey, let's watch When Calls the Heart. <laughs> But you know what I find myself doing? Sitting on the bed going, wait, I thought, I thought he was in love with her. <laughs> and she's like, shh, that was two seasons ago. <laughs> hey, can I say it like this? You want to try to get you to understand. You build habits around people that you love. Yeah. You ever stop and think, Lord, what do you like? What do you enjoy? Right? So, 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 Lord, it's not just what I want. See, that's not a good friendship. Yeah. Lord, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like he, we're like, it's outweighed in our favor way more, most of the time. Yeah. He has blessed us so much. I, I feel like every once in a while stopping and going, Lord, wh- what do you like? You ever ask yourself, Lord, what do you like? Mm. Well, what do you not like? People say all the time, I just like this music. Okay, does God like it? I just like, okay, great. Nothing, I'm not going to judge you, but does God like that? Right. Becoming the friend of God means your habits are built around him. Can I point out to you? Look at Genesis chapter 13. Look at verse 1. We say, what happens in Genesis 12? Well, they go down into Egypt. And when they go down into Egypt, man, it's kind of a mess. You read through that passage, we don't have time I mean, he manipulates his way through the situation, calling Sarah his sister when she's really his wife. There's a plague that happens in Pharaoh's house. There's lying going on. And by the way, God doesn't speak to Abraham one time. And then the Bible says that that Abram comes out of Egypt. And I want you to see this. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, three. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the what? Hey, There are some habits and traditions that you ought to keep in your life because they make you a friend of God. Just because, well, well, Pastor, I don't want to go to church at a ritual. Then don't come to church because your friend enjoys you being there. That's not a ritual. You understand? At that point, the motive changes. I don't know what was said in verse 4. The Bible says that Abram calls in the name of the Lord. And I can't prove it, but something changes here. See, how do you know? Look down, if you would, at verse number 7. There's, a, there's a, an argument that goes on between Lot's herdmen and, and, and Abram's herdmen. Lot is Abram's nephew. And, oh, by the way, God told Abram to leave his father's house and his kindred and his country. And, and so Abram goes, fine, I'll do that, but I'm going to bring some of it with me. You ever been there as a Christian? It's just like when Moses goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh goes, you can go worship, but don't take the kids. You can go worship, but don't go too far. You can go worship, but leave the animals here. You can go, it's almost like, let's make a deal with the devil instead of let's make a deal with God. Let's make a deal with it. Let's compromise a little bit. You know what Abraham did? God, I'll leave, but I'm going to bring some family with me. You know what God, what eventually Abraham has to do, what, uh, has to understand? If he's going to be the friend of God, he's got to learn to let go, listen to me, of the past. Amen. You cannot be a friend of God and hold on to living in the past. Amen. It does not work. I thought this was funny. This is a John Steinbeck, who some of you know for uh, Grapes of Wrath, I believe it is. He said this, you know, most people live 90% in the past, 7% in the present, and that only leaves them 3% for the future. Kind of said tongue in cheek, but it's true. 
How about this? You cannot change the past. You can only improve on the present. But God, the Bible says of God when he shows up to Abraham, he doesn't say, I, I was that I was. I am that I am. God dwells in the here and the now to get you to there in the, in the future. But he doesn't have you constantly looking back. Listen, a Lot's wife looks back. She becomes a pillar of salt. Let me say this. Lot represents not just the other people in your life that don't want to follow God. Lot represents, listen to me, your past and who you would have been without God. If you don't believe that, look at what Genesis 13, verse number 2. What does it say about Abram? He was very what? Very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. All right, well, look at, look at Lot, verse number 5. Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them. Why? Because Lot was also rich. So you have both these men that were rich. Here's one difference between the two of them. One has a relationship with God and one does not. You know what Abram would have been? He would have been a very rich man and never amounted to anything in eternity. And God goes, Abram, you paying attention. This is what you would have been if I didn't show up and you didn't respond. Hmm. Let me say this, Christian. I, I believe this. Some Christians... And I'm saying this to try to help you, not to hurt you. We live in a day and age that doesn't really, we don't glorify heroes as much as we do glorify victims. So the, the highest prize is to be, you say, how do you know that? Daytime TV. It used to be the commercial breaks were about schools you could go to and things that, you know the commercials are now? Have you been hurt? See Frank Azar, the strong arm. It's all about you being a victim, you, didn't, you got the wrong of the deal, you know, life's not fair, you need to get yours. That's kind of the mentality. And then people come to church with that same mentality. Let me just say this. I think some of you live in the past because you want it to be your identity. Because by living in the past and making that your identity. Listen, let me tell you right now. I have an influence on how my children are raised. There's no doubt about that. But I do not create them. I don't make them. Listen, at some point, they decide if they want to follow God or not. In other words, your past has influence, but listen carefully. The last I checked, the only person that creates and gives life and takes life is God. So your past can influence, but it does not create you. That's God's position. You give your past too much power, Christian. The Bible says those children of Israel in the wilderness, you know what they say to, to Moses? Would to God we had died. By the hand, it's just so dramatic, you know. Couldn't you just have said, This sucks? <laughs> Not what they said. Would to God we had died in the, by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. I love that. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. Here's the other way you were slaves. I know a place where you can get three square meals a day. And you got free health care. Yeah, yeah. It's called prison. But there's no freedom there. You know what God did? He saved you and brought you out of Egypt. And there are times where you look back. Look at Ezra chapter 3 with me. Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. I think this is important. I was just at a church where 
a lot of the folks in that church have been saved for 40 plus years. A long time. And uh, you know what I learned from talking with them? The preacher there named Vance Willie, he's visited our church a couple of times. And he loves you guys. He says, I love that church. Very lively church, you know. And he said, I remember going to Gilead Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan back in the early 60s. By the way, for those that don't know anything about history, church history, do you know what the mega churches in America were in the 60s? They weren't non-denominational. They were independent Baptists. But let me tell you something. When the movement becomes bigger than God himself, God says, no thanks. That's the end of it. And I'm not saying God can't work. I think he's working right here. I'm just saying the movement itself. You understand what I'm getting at? He said, I remember going to Gilead Baptist Church and being a seven, eight, nine-year-old boy watching 25 people every Sunday go down to get saved. A church of five, you know, 2,500, 3,000, 4,000 plus people. You say, where is it gone? Gone. You see, why, why, uh, why are you bring this up, preacher? Because there's a tendency to look back and go, ah, oh, remember how good God used to be? God is still good. People still can be saved. The gospel can still touch lives. I'm not looking back to the 1950s or 1960s. I'm in 2023, where boys are being told they can be girls. And God is working in the midst of all the chaos and confusion. I am going to say, thank you, Lord. Look at Ezra chapter 3. Let me show you something. When God tells the nation of Israel to go back to their land and rebuild their temple after being in captivity, I want you to notice what happens. Look at Ezra 3, verse number 10. And the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. They set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course and praising and, and giving thanks in the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They were going from having uh, being in captivity, not having a temple, not having a priesthood in order, not having sacrifices, not having a, the opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies. All that was gone. And now it could become a reality again. But watch this, verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice and others shouted for joy. And you know what the world says? We can't tell. Look at verse 13. They can't tell what's going on with God's people. Hey, you know what the opportunity is? You ought to be rejoicing, not weeping over the past. And when those old men chose to weep when it should have been a time of rejoicing, you know what it it sent the message to the world? We can't tell what you guys are doing. You know what the problem was? Living in the past. Go back to Genesis. Genesis, we're trying to wrap this up. We're in a pit stop, Genesis 17. Go to Genesis 22 after that. Genesis 17. Genesis chapter 17. I just want to point one thing out here in Genesis 17. You say, what is that? Oh, just an interesting side note for you. Genesis chapter 17. And look, if you would, at uh, verse number 5. Neither shall thy name anymore be called what? But thy name shall be called what? Do you realize for the rest of the book of Genesis, he's called Abraham, not Abram? You say why? God was trying to show slowly 
He had to let go of Lot. He had to let go of Hagar. He had to let go of everything that had come out of Egypt. And then God goes, okay, let's give you a new name. Let's forget that. Let's keep moving on. Look at Genesis chapter 22, and we'll be done. Genesis 22. How did he become the friend of God? Becoming the friend of God means living by faith. Look, if you would, at verse 1. And it came to pass of these things that God did tempt Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son and only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee in the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early. I mean, I don't know about you guys. Between verses 1, 2, and 3, there would have been like, Okay, Lord, I don't know if I got that right. You're telling me you want me to take the son that you gave me as a promise that I'm going to be a great and mighty nation. You want me to offer him? Do you realize you don't see this conversation with Abraham? You don't see Abraham looking up and questioning God. You just see that Abraham gets up and he goes. I know you know the story. And if you don't, spoiler alert, God's not a monster. He stops Abraham from killing his own son. But it's a picture of something. You see, listen to me very carefully. Look at verse, I believe it's verse 8. Is that where it says God shall provide himself a lamb? You you know what Abraham does that some of you haven't been able to do quite yet? And I'm I'm hoping to encourage you to do that. When the world questions what God is doing in your life, you stay an advocate for God. How's this going to work out? And why'd they do this? And well, if God's so good, why is this happening? And you just go, huh? God will provide. You know the story. Abraham puts up that dagger, that knife, and he's about to come down. And the angel Lord says, okay, stop it right there, Abraham. Now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you love me. You say, what was it? That was the greatest exercise of his faith. Listen to me. What's the greatest exercise of your, of your faith? Being willing to give up your Isaac. Miss Anita, I don't mean physically kill your son. <laughs> I'm sure there were times you wanted to. I'm sure Ariana would have said amen to that. Amen. I, I, mean, I mean your spiritual Isaac. The thing that you go, that I, that's who I am right there. See, that, that to me is God. That shows everyone that God's real. And God goes, okay, if I take that away, if, I, if, I, if you give that up, will I still be God? You got to ask yourself that. I know a man that woke up one morning and found his wife on the floor dead next to the bed. And that man grieved, and boy, he went through it. He's a Christian man, Christian man. You know what was a blessing talking to that guy? He said, brother, I'll never understand it. But I still believe God is God. Remember the Browskises? Came to our church for a little bit. I'll never forget, I got to preach the funeral for his wife out in Pennsylvania a number of years back. And I didn't have words. But you know what? Whether I have words or not, it doesn't change who God is. Will you be an advocate for God when nobody else is? Will you be the one that steps in when everybody steps out? Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the opportunity to pray.
Thank you for being our friend, Lord. This service, we want to kind of dedicate this time to, to telling you we want to be your friend. We want to be like Abraham. God, I pray that you'd help your people to be determined or to step in those footsteps of that great man and not a sinless man, but a man that loved you and became your friend. Lord, that's a great title. Lord, if if I live long enough and the rapture hasn't happened, Lord, of all the things on the tombstone, dad, father, husband, Lord, I'd like to... I'd like the world to know as your friend. Let me just say this with heads bowed and eyes closed. Christian, the question is not, is God your friend? He established that at Calvary. The question is, are we his? Are you his? If you're here and you've never been born again 2,000 years ago, The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was slain so that God would make friends out of former enemies. The Bible says we we were his enemy. We were at enmity with him, and God rescued us. God stepped in. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He expressed his desire to be your friend at Calvary. My question to you is this. How will you respond to that? If you've never been born again, heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're not saved, can I encourage you to do something? Can I encourage you to be honest with yourself and with God? If you're here and you're saved, you know you're a child of God, lift your hand and say, that's me, preacher. I'm a born again, blood-bought child of God. Majority of the hands went up. That's great. Let me just say this. If you're not saved and you're not sure about your salvation, understand God took the first step. He extends his hand out. He's offering you the gift of eternal life. So thankful that just a couple weeks ago, Amanda got saved. What a blessing. Thankful for that. Praying for that for months. Let me just throw this out there. If you're here and you could not raise your hand a second ago, would you be honest enough with yourself and honest enough with God to simply slip your hand up? I'm not going to drag you down here or anything weird like that, but I'd like to pray for you. Is there anybody here that would be honest enough and say, Preacher, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I don't know. But I'd like to have my sins forgiven. I'd like to have God as my friend and not my enemy. I'd like to know that all my guilt and shame and sin is covered. I'm accepted as God's child and heaven is my home. If that's you, without anyone looking around, just slip your hand up and say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I'd love to pray for you if that's you. Christian, remember the song, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. As he plays, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. If God, were to write a song about the friendship you've expressed to him, what would it sound like? That's basically what you have in Abraham's story. God expressing to us how Abraham became his friend.
Amen. Thank you for coming today. And uh, appreciate you being with us. And pray that you can make it back Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. We're continuing our series on spiritual warfare. Um, got a great, great uh, lineup of uh, missions-themed services coming up in the month of October. We have our missions fair at the end of October. Um, got a lot going on. We hope you can be around for it. Uh, but I want to encourage you. You can be here Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. We'll be doing our, our continuing our series on spiritual warfare, what the Bible says about that. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. And uh, uh, teenagers, if that's you, you want to go to the kitchen now? All right, that would be now. Okay, that would be you. Yep. Okay. All right. And uh, if you can, uh, stick around for some good fellowship. Grab some ice cream on the way out. It'll go to a great cause. Uh, all the parents that would like their kids to be gone for a week of the summer, would you say amen? Amen. amen. All right.